0: Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Abib, and uh, one of the famous events that happens in the month of Abib is what we're actually going to celebrate tomorrow, which is the Feast of the Apostles, which celebrates the mission of the Apostles that were sent out after the, uh, the Pentecost, after having received the Holy Spirit, going out into the world and beginning to preach and to establish churches. And so we read in the gospel today about how the disciples, after they had gone out according to the command of Christ, to go and to preach into all of these various places that the Lord himself was about to go, to prepare the way for him, and to prepare the the people for receiving the Lord whenever he himself comes. When they returned from this mission that the Lord had sent them on, they were greatly rejoicing, and they were one of the things they rejoiced about was that the spirits were subject to them. And the Lord corrected them and said, do not be joyful that the spirits are subjected to you, but that your uh, names are written in heaven. And so he redirected their joy. So we can ask also ourselves this question is sometimes we are joyful about things that maybe is not really the most important thing or that we should redirect our joy towards something else, something maybe that is not as present in our mind or something that is not as obvious. We tend to uh, place our trust and our hope and our joy in a lot of things that maybe are not um, as important. So I'm going to speak a little bit about the Christian rejoicing and what is it that we should be joyful of and what is it that we um, should not be placing such great emphasis and joy in. So first I'm going to speak about a few points of things that we shouldn't really be placing our joy in. And the first one is what the Lord said to the apostles today. was actually in the last verse that we read he said nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven the corinthians also had this problem the lord had given them many different spiritual gifts the ability to speak in tongues the, the ability for um for for doing miracles and signs and wonders and all kinds of things and they were very much almost to the point of obsession Um, focusing on these gifts that the Lord had given them, and then they had neglected things that are even more important, like for instance, showing love to one another, or striving for holiness, and they were focusing so much on these gifts. The Lord here, when he is speaking to the apostles, he says don't be so excited and overjoyed because the spirits are subject to you, meaning that they could cast out demons, and that they could command the spirits, and the spirits would obey them. Of course for the apostles this was a big deal this was something that they had never experienced before and something miraculous and so this was their source of joy that they were able to do what no one else could do and yet the lord kind of brought them back to earth and said this is not this is not what should be your source of rejoicing but your source of rejoicing should be that your names are written in heaven so we should not be overly concerned with the spiritual gifts sometimes we become puffed up with the spiritual gifts that we receive instead of thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. I remember there was this um, interview that was done. Um, it was a, it's one of these Christian TV stations, um, it, 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 like a Protestant TV station. And they were interviewing His Holiness Pope Schnuda. And um, the questions that were being asked of him were all focusing on the gifts of the Spirit of how the church sees the gifts of the Spirit, and, and how, and how you know, the, the, the gifts like speaking in tongues, and, and you know, all, miracle working, and so on. And I remember his answer to the person interviewing him was, we don't focus so much on the gifts of the Spirit, we focus on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, like kindness and holiness, self-control, perseverance, kindness, all these things that we do that are a reflection of the Spirit of God working in us, That this is the the fruit, this is is for us, when we say that we are Christians, what is the evidence of that faith, of that belief that we have? It is the working of the Holy Spirit to transform us to have these fruits, to be able to show love, to be able to forgive, to be able to have mercy. This is what we should be concerned about as Christians, not the gifts of the Spirit. God distributes the gifts as he wants, but sometimes people become obsessed with these gifts and thinking that the gift of the Spirit is actually evidence of salvation, when it's not. God can give gifts to those even who are who are perishing because God is good and he wants to give gifts and he wants to serve us and he wants to uh, give us the means to serve one another. But just because we have a gift doesn't mean that everything is right. The St. Paul himself, he said what? That, that he has to discipline himself lest when he has preached to others to, to others, he himself is disqualified. Meaning what? That St. Paul who had received all these gifts he still is thinking about himself like, I need to be careful about my salvation because even though I am doing the work of God and even though I am preaching to others, maybe I myself will be disqualified. And so we should not re- rejoicing overly in the gifts of the Spirit. Another thing that we should not rejoice in, of course, is rejoicing in sin. The Lord actually seeing the sin of the Israelites he was always trying to call them to repentance, and so he had commanded them to repent in sackcloth and ashes because of their sin, because of the because of their idol worship, because of their rebellion. And yet it says what in the book of Isaiah chapter 22, and in that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning because of because he wants them to repent for baldness and for girding with sackcloth. But instead, joy and gladness, meaning the people instead of responding to God's called for repentance with sackcloth and ashes and repentance. Instead, they responded with what? Joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So their response to um, uh, an accusation by God, the response to a conviction by God of their sin was not repentance, was not change, was not to uh, deny themselves pleasure but instead it was to multiply their pleasure and instead it was to have a party and to say what let us enjoy ourselves now because tomorrow we die let us enjoy our life now. So sadly oftentimes we see in the world that there is a rejoicing of sin there is a, a view that sin is actually something that is the goal and target of life, the pleasures of this world. And so certainly we should not be rejoicing in this. We should not be we should not look towards sin and a sinful activities as being a source of rejoicing. You know, some people might say that in our church, because we have many fasts and you know we do a lot of things that are very solemn, that we are kind of boring, or that we, we do not care about rejoicing. And actually this is not the case at all. What we care about is the true rejoicing. We care about the rejoicing of being freed from sin. And when we fast, there is the true rejoicing. What is it that we are actually doing in our fasting it is truly rejoicing that we have been freed from sin, truly rejoicing in our salvation, truly rejoicing because God is protecting us. This is, this is a true rejoicing. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy ourselves in this life, but certainly within the confines and, and of, of the commands that God has given. Also, we should not rejoice in the worldly things. What did King Solomon say about this? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. King Solomon who had lived a very full life and experienced every type of pleasure, by the end of his life writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, his conclusion was all the time that I spent pursuing worldly things was all just vanity. It was a waste of time because even now having accomplished everything that I dreamed, I realized how empty it really was. Maybe those of us who are not in the position of King Solomon, those of us who are still going up that ladder and set in front of us a goal and a target of wealth and success, that we think to ourselves that these things are going to bring us satisfaction and are going to bring us joy. But King Solomon is a person who already reached the top and he looks back at all of us maybe who have not yet reached there and he says it's not worth it. It's a, the, you don't, don't feel like you need to come to where I am. It is not what you think it is. It is not as good as you imagine it to be. So certainly, um, being distracted by worldly success and placing worldly success above anything else is definitely a source of distraction and it should not be a source of joy for us. When we accomplish all these things that we are seeking out to accomplish in the world, we should not be so infatuated with this. We should not be so, so much rejoicing in this. If God chooses to give it to us, wonderful. It is a gift from God, but it should not become an obsession. It should not become something that we seek after above all other things. Also, we should not rejoice in wealth. In Job chapter 31, when Job is defending himself and he's speaking about the way that he has lived his life and the way that, you know, how, how, for what is he being punished? He says this about himself. He says, if I have made gold, my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for I would have denied God who was above. He says clearly about himself, if I have made gold to be a God for me, then I deserve whatever judgment that I receive. But I have not done this. I have not denied God by making for myself another God. Like Christ says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot place wealth before us as a God and also God before us. Also, we should not be rejoicing in status. In Psalm 62, the psalmist says, surely men of low degree are a vapor, Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. When we look at the difference between maybe someone who is of a high status versus someone is of a low status, someone who is very, very wealthy with billions of dollars compared to someone who can barely live from month to month, we look at them and we maybe say there's a big difference in their life. There's, these two people are living very different lives. The way that they lead their life, the way that they appear, the clothes that they wear, the cars that they drive, the houses they live in. Maybe you look at it from a, a superficial kind of external perspective. You say there's a huge difference in the lifestyle of these two people and yet here the Bible tells us what there is no difference because what when you weigh them both on the scale they are as nothing. Right? When you weigh them both on the scales They are altogether lighter than vapor. Compared to eternity, compared to God, compared to the life that we will live for eternity after this life, It doesn't matter whether in this life we have money, we don't have money, we have a car, we don't have a car. It doesn't matter because in the end, it's all the same in the eyes of God. So our rejoicing should not be in our status. Our rejoicing should not be in what we have achieved. Our rejoicing should not be in the way that other people treat us in this life and be deceived or fooled by these things, believing that this should be a source of joy for us. Also, we should not be rejoicing in the fall of our enemies also Job in, 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 uh, in Job 31. He says, if I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found him, Indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. Again, he is saying, if I have been found to desire the destruction of my enemies, to desire a calamity to fall upon him and to feel joy whenever this happens, then I would deserve punishment. But I have not done this. I have not cursed Him with my mouth, I have not have not sought out the destruction of my enemies. Again, this is something maybe that when we are having uh, difficulties with different people and we become angry with them, that actually we wish them to disappear. We were angry. We wish maybe even a calamity to befall them. We wish them to fail in some way. We wish for them to feel some kind of pain, the same pain that they have made us to feel. And yet here, Job makes it clear that this should not be a source of rejoicing for us. When we see our enemies fail, when we see them in pain, this should not be something that brings us joy or comfort, um, but we should actually rejoice in their success, rejoice in their success. The last point about what is it that we should not rejoice in is we should not rejoice in our self-righteousness. In Proverbs 30, it says, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. There is, a, there, is, there is a group of people, there is a generation that believes themselves to be pure and righteous and good. And yet, in the eyes of God, how does he consider them? He says what? They are not watched from filthiness, they are filthy in his eyes, and yet they consider themselves to be righteous. So I should not rejoice in what I believe in myself to be righteousness. You know, St. Paul himself, he says what about himself? I do not know anything against myself, but I am not comforted by this. He, he looks at himself and he says, I don't know of anything against myself. Like, I don't know of any sin that I am committing, but I'm not satisfied with this. Maybe I'm being deceived. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't see. Maybe I'm sinning, and yet I cannot see or understand myself. Maybe someone else looks at me and can see, but I do not see. And all of us have experienced situations with other people where someone is maybe uh, living in a certain way or has certain thoughts or a certain attitude or is doing something wrong. And maybe we see it very clearly, but they don't see it themselves, right? So if that can happen to them, it can also happen to me. I can be self-deceived. I can think of myself to be righteous and good when maybe I am struggling. So just because I look at myself and I find I don't see anything wrong, I'm doing everything that I should be, I should not fall into this self-righteousness. I should still ask God for his mercy. Maybe there's something I'm doing that needs to change. So that's a a few things um, that we should not rejoice in. So what should we rejoice in? What is something that should be, as us as believers, should be a source of rejoicing? The number one thing is we rejoice in the resurrection. We rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord. After the resurrection, it says in Matthew 28, And as they went to tell his disciples, this is the the, the Mary's that went to the tomb, As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. The greatest source of rejoicing for us as Christians should not be our wealth, should not be the status of our life. It should be an event that happened to the Lord 2,000 years ago, which is that he overcame death and that he promises us that also for us he will overcome death, that we do not have to be afraid of death. Death is the thing that historically among the entire human race has been, number one, something that is inevitable, something we cannot escape, and something that is very frightening to all of us because it is from our perspective, it's, it looks like it is a cessation of life, it is the ending of life. It is every experience that we've had, everything that we have done in our life, every, everything that we know in that moment seems to completely end. And yet, it is through the resurrection that not only does it not end, but the place that we go after is actually far better than the place that we are now. So this should be always for us a great, great, great source of rejoicing. We are joyful and thankful to God. And every day that when we wake up, we remember the Lord has resurrected. And the Lord has promised us also a resurrection and he has destroyed the power of death. And there is nothing that death can do to hold us, to conquer us. The devil has, his kingdom has been broken. The devil has lost the battle and God is just waiting for the end in order to reveal the victory and the success in its fullness. But God has already demonstrated for us the power of resurrection and we rejoice in this. Also, we're rejoicing in our personal salvation. In Isaiah 61, says i will greatly rejoice in the lord my soul shall be joyful in my god for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels the lord has redeemed us the lord has saved us despite our own sin That it is by our sin that we deserve punishment, but God has refrained from punishing. God has refrained from giving us what we deserve and instead has showered us with his grace to give us what we do not deserve. Also, it says, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. God actually makes us to be righteous. God transformed our sinful nature to be one of righteousness. God gives us the ability to be like him. And this also should be a great source of rejoicing, that I am not bound by sin, in bondage to sin for my whole life, but just as the Lord said, when the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. We become free in the Lord Christ. We become free in him, no longer um, bonded to any sin. Also, we should be rejoicing in repentance. Repentance, even though it might feel difficult, and even though it might feel like we are having to reveal our sins, and yet, It it should be a great source of rejoicing that God has given us the means of forgiveness. He has given us the means for whatever sin is in us, whatever wrong deeds we have done or wrong thoughts we have done, to be lifted so that we do not have to carry them as a burden. It says in Luke 15, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels themselves are rejoicing when they see us to repent. When I repent and confess my sins, I should be joyful that the Lord has accepted my repentance and that I am no longer accountable for the sin that I have committed. It should be a source of joy for me. It should be something where I am lifting up my heart in joy because God has removed this burden from my heart. Also, the Lord says, and St. Paul says, we should rejoice in our sufferings. In Romans chapter five, it says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Something may be very counterintuitive for us to say that we are going to rejoice in our sufferings. And again, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a stark contrast between the way the world sees things and the, world that the, the way that the believers should see things. And it has to do with our mindset and what is our goal and our target in life. If my goal and target in life is only to have pleasure and joy in this world, then certainly having suffering is completely, I want to avoid it as much as I can. But if my goal and target in life is to become like Christ, if this is my target, if this is my aim is to become like Christ, then actually these trials, they what? They produce perseverance. They produce character. They produce something that in me that be, is more and more Christ-like. And so it should actually be a joy for me because it is an answer to my prayers. Whenever I ask the Lord, I want to be more uh Faithful. I want to be more hopeful. I want to be more obedient. I want to be better in some way. Maybe the response of God is you need tribulation. Maybe you need more trial. If I ask God, God, I want you to deepen my prayers. Maybe the reason that my prayers are shallow is because I don't really feel need. Maybe I don't really feel how much I am in need of God. Maybe God will allow tribulation and in that tribulation, my prayers will be amplified. I will feel every word that I am praying to God. Maybe I even I will pray with tears because I'm speaking every word as coming from my heart because I mean it very sincerely because of the trial or the pain that I'm experiencing. And so in so many ways, we experience God in the face of trial, and Saint Paul says what? We should glory in this. This should actually be a source of rejoicing for us. The last thing I will say is that we should rejoice in the truth. In 1 Corinthians 13, St. Paul says, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. The truth is Christ. Christ said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and, and, and the life. And he is the one who is leading us to this life. He is the one leading us through his truth to the ultimate life, which is the fullness of life, the abundant life, the life that we are all dreaming of and hoping for. It is through the truth. This is why the truth is so important in the church. This is why we guard the truth. This is why we make such a big deal about any lie or any falsehood um, in the faith because the Lord himself is truth, and the Lord teaches us about himself. He teaches us about God, and he, he helps us to understand him, which is the truth of God. So whatever commands, whatever scripture, whatever word that God gives to us that is truth, we should keep it in our heart. It is through the truth of God that we learn how to live. It is through the truth of God that we as human beings can function right. Because God created us and like the truth is like the manual of the human being. How is it that we would live rightly? How is it that we would live joyfully? It is because we are living and abiding in the truth of Christ. So we rejoice because God has given us the truth. And he's given us a mind to understand the truth. We rejoice because the truth is found in the church and God has placed us here. Also, we want to share that truth with others. We want to share that truth. The, the the focus of the gospel reading today was all speaking about the evangelism of the apostles and how they went out and they preached the truth, they preached the love of God to all the people in the area, and that is how he, they were able to convert so many souls to the faith. We also that are rejoicing in all these things that we speak about this rejoicing should be evident. And this rejoicing should not be something that we hide. Like like when uh, the Lord is, is speaking about the parable and nobody takes uh, a lamp and, and he puts it under a basket. Why? Because the lamp is the joy of the, of the faith. The lamp is the truth. The lamp is us that is re- a representative of God, joyful in our faith that we have received from him. You don't then take this and put it under a basket in order to prevent it from shining its light. This is actually counterintuitive. You don't light a lamp and then cover it up because the point of the lamp is to illuminate the darkness. So God also calls us to rejoice and in that rejoicing to be kind of contagious, to share that rejoicing with people around us so that they would come to the truth. So in conclusion, in Romans 15, St. Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God fills us with this hope, with this joy, with this peace, and that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit and abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We should rejoice in Christ always. Our life should be categorized by joy. And if we do not feel joy, if instead we feel just sadness all the time, then we have to ask ourselves, what is missing? The Lord did not intend us to be sad. If you look even in the, in the book of Acts, at the life of the apostles, it says that after they had gone and they were beaten and they were abused for the name of Christ, it says they walked out rejoicing that they would be counted to suffer for the name of Christ. This was the apostles. Their lives were so difficult. Their lives were not easy. We read about their lives as though it is like, yeah, look, they went here, they went there, they preached, this happened to them. No, their lives were very, very hard. They were they were called to leave everything behind. They were called to suffer for the name of Christ. They were called to travel. They were called to be constantly serving and working for their entire life up and even to the point of their martyrdom. And yet they lived in joy because they were singularly focused on the one thing, the one thing that mattered. We, our minds are so divided We are so divided among so many things. My family, my work, my money, my health, all these things. I'm not saying these are not important. But if we place our trust in God, that he will provide for us all that we need, and, and our mind is always steadfast on him, then instead of worrying about these things, I only think about one thing. How do I glorify God? Rejoicing in what God has given me, rejoicing in the place that God has prepared for me in heaven, and wanting to serve him out of an overflow of love for him because of all of the things he has done for me that I do not deserve, And then my life becomes 100% focused on him. Even though I am in the world, and even though I am married, and even though I have children, and even though I have a job, and even though I have financial issues, and even though I have all the things that I have, and yet in all those things, all I see is him. He is the one who has provided for me, and he is the place, and here is where I want to go. If we place God before us, then our life should be filled always with rejoicing. And glory be to God forever. Amen.